Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to wrap up our series on the source. And over in Acts chapter 2, God's not only the source of every good thing in our lives, uh, but He's also the source of community. And we are a community, community of faith. Uh, We're a fellowship, a congregation. But as a congregation, we need to be able to have community uh, or fellowship. So we're, we're never meant to do life alone. Never meant to do it alone. Not by ourselves. Being a follower of Christ is more about becoming a church, more than becoming just a church member, but it's becoming part of the family of God. And we can be, and we are the family of God. The powerful thing is, is that we're not only a community of faith, but our source is great. Frank Lloyd Wright, who is a 20th century architect, uh, he said, he once said this, no stream rises higher than its source. He may have been speaking in our, for, uh, related to architecture, yet we find that since God is our source, the river of our community or fellowship stems from the reservoir of God himself. You may think that you don't have much to give others, but think again. If God is your source, you have a wonderful supply if you tap in to the Spirit of God. Recently, Jody and I had uh, an opportunity to uh, sit down and, and uh, meet with some prospective missionaries. Uh, they are friends, Jody works with them at her job, and they invited us over to their house to come and to uh, interact with them after they've gotten back from East Africa. And uh, they were showing everybody a map of where they had been in East Africa, and I had been over in the area, not in the same country. But on the map was a huge lake, and that lake uh, is known as Lake Victoria. Lake Victoria is, all, is the second largest freshwater lake by area in the world. It is the largest lake on, in Afri- on the continent of Africa. And uh, on the map, uh, we see that it is second in area only in relationship to Lake Superior here in the United States. Uh, now, I've looked over the edge of Lake Victoria from, uh, from the nation of Uganda, and if you look out over that lake, it is massive. It is so big that it's like looking over the ocean. You don't see the land on the other side. It's almost like you can see the curvature of the, of the earth itself at that point. It, it's big and it's beautiful. Uh, many people are unaware of Lake Victoria, but they're also, but they are aware of the river that actually drains it. Lake Victoria is drained solely by the Nile River near Jinja in Uganda, and on, it's on the lake's northern shore, so it's a river that runs north. It's the main source of the Nile, providing water to the desert lands of South Sudan, of Sudan itself, and then up into Egypt, which we know of. And uh, we find that it takes the water from the lush rainforest and in those areas, and brings that water down to the desert land in northern Africa. So just as Lake Victoria 
is a source of the Nile water in the desert land. God is our source. He's our source of community. And we can be a river of hope to those who are around us. The Nile's not a perfect river. <laughs> one of the, in fact, one of the first things that happens at, at, in Jinja, the town of Jinja, is the Jinja Falls where uh, the water comes out of Lake Victoria and drops over these falls and goes down into a big pool. And I've seen people there. It's quite interesting as they're flo floating on banana stalks, floating around as a boat. And uh, I don't know if they're fishing or what they're doing, but that sounds like a good thing to do today, right? Yeah, for this weekend. But these guys would do that, and uh, it's a rough place when you first start out. We, too, have some rough places as well. God's working on us. You may think you don't have very much to give in this life or in the body of Christ, but you do if God is your source. Let's look to get today over in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start out in verse 41 here in just a second. It's a powerful picture of the early church in Jerusalem. And uh, we see the river of God's grace. We find that right before this passage, the apostle Peter has just preached a message to all this community, all of this area in Jerusalem, and we find that many people have come to Christ. And so this is where we're going to start reading with that context. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So Luke here is the author of the, of the book of Acts, and of, and of course Luke as well. And of course the Holy Spirit was working through him as he wrote this information down for us. It's the Word of God. He gives us a fairly good uh, view of the state of the church in Jerusalem at this time, the early church. And from this scene, we find several significant elements of the church. The first thing that we find there is that the church was, it was no loose-knit group. Verse 41 tells us something that's key for us. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Could you imagine what that would be like? Here, sharing the gospel with all those people and then so many people coming in. I'm sure they were busting at the seams. Somebody took somebody's seat. Somebody uh, tripped over somebody else. Some, you know, you could just imagine what it was like. All these people infiltrating the community of faith. And I'm sure it was challenging, but it was powerful too. It was a God thing. So you see here uh, that um, many Jewish people are hearing the gospel plainly uh, for the first time and they come to Christ. The Jews generally looked on baptism as a rite for Gentile converts, uh, not uh, for uh, one that was born a Jew. It, was, it, was show, it showed their break with their Gentile past and a washing away of defilement. It was one way that they uh, viewed baptism. So when uh, it was a type of worship, not, 
not kind, not exactly the same as what we have in the church today. But so when Jews accepted baptism in the name of Jesus, on hearing Peter's message, it was significant for them. It was a result of Peter's preaching, the work of the Holy Spirit, that 3,000 of these people have taken a step to be baptized and said, hey, we want to be a part of what God is doing. See, we find something else about these guys. It was a clear-cut community. It was a clear-cut society with some definite standards with them. It was evident from Peter's sermon that, and the response of the Jewish people that repentance, confession, baptism were necessary for them to be a part of what God was doing. And God had done a powerful work in that ever-flowing Holy Spirit as he was transforming people's lives. They couldn't just leave the scene at this point. They had had an encounter with God. They had met Christ. They had heard of him, and then they just didn't meet him and then leave and just walk their own separate ways. They couldn't just leave the scene. They couldn't just try to make it by themselves. They needed other followers of Jesus to do life with. What they needed was community. Every one of us need community. We're not an island to ourselves. The second element that we find here in the church in Jerusalem at this point in time was that the apostles' authority was there from the beginning. So we look at that in verse 47, and it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So Luke began to describe the early church by telling us that the believers in it were distinguished by their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with one another, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now that, that verb that's translated devoted uh, in the original language is a common word that denotes a steadfast, single-minded loyalty to a certain course of action. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the gospel. They were focused on it. They were looking at that, and they were running with it. Now the apostle teach, apostles' teaching, we realize, was a gospel message. It refers to that material that, the, that was considered authoritative because it was uh, a message about Jesus himself. It was about the death, the resurrection. It was all, about all of those kind of things and uh, that the apostles proclaimed. The apostles had been with Jesus in his earthly ministry. They had walked through all the process, and they had been there with Jesus. They knew what it was like. They saw the resurrected Christ. The early church was devoted to the message the apostles proclaimed. They focused themselves on the good news. They were loyal and they focused on that message. So let's illustrate what, a little bit what, what uh, focus uh, is like. On day six of the mission of Apollo 13, the astronauts uh, had, um, they needed to make a critical course correction. If they failed on the course... Uh, they would never return to earth. Now, that could put you in a dilemma. And so to conserve power, they shut down their onboard computer that steered the Apollo 13. And yet the astronauts needed a, to conduct a 39-second burn of the main engines. The question was, how are they going to steer this craft? And so Jim Lovell uh, determined that if, if they could keep a fixed point in space in view... Uh, through their tiny window that they could steer the rocket manually. I don't know if I would have wanted to be the one that had to steer that rocket manually, huh? And so 
they, that's what they do. So for 39 agonizing seconds, there they are burning off those engines a little bit and not losing sight of that reference point. The reference point was earth. And so that way they could make it to their destination. Scripture reminds us that to finish our life mission successfully, we must fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We must focus our lives on Him. We must run with the vision. We must not worry about how we started. We must be concerned with how we end up in this life. We all started from different levels. Some came to faith older, uh, at an older age. Some came to faith when they were young. But one way or the other, the important thing is, is that we finish the race that we're going to run. Let's run this race together and be effective. If we're going to finish well and be effective, we have to be single-minded. We have to look through the little window that we have, and we call two eyeballs in our lives and in our hearts as we look towards the Lord and focus solely on Him, on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The third thing we find in the early church in Jerusalem was that fellowship or community was paramount. It was one of those it was one of those chief values of the church. Community and fellowship is is very important. It hasn't changed today. It's just as important as what it was in that time. And we have some things to overcome, I'm sure, as followers of Jesus in our day and time. Uh, but in verse 42, it says, uh, they not only devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but all, they were also loyal, or they devoted themselves to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, uh, the, uh, the definite article in the original Greek is, is te, I'm not sure that you care about that, te koinonia, which means the fellowship. It implies that there was something distinctive in the gatherings of the early believers. With the influx of 3,000 new believers, they, they must have had some recognizable identity. They held to Jesus being the center of everything. And in the, it, he was the center of everything when it comes to the redemptive plan of God. So what was called the breaking of the bread, which we see here in this passage as well, or the, what some would call the love feast, uh, it includes the Lord's Supper, that interaction, that communion, that fellowship that we have with each other. Uh, later on, the Lord's Supper was kind of separated out, what we would call communion, but uh, it's a eating together, and eating together, especially that point in time in the Eastern world, was significant. It, it showed an element of, of uh, relationship, of friendship, a sign of fellowship. It emphasized the joy of communion with the risen Lord and of fellowship with each other. Again, I have to say that we were never meant to do life alone. Being a follower of Christ is more than being just a church member. It's being a member of God's family. Have you ever asked yourself, why is our church structured the way that it is? I don't mean the building. Now, the building is the building we meet here. Uh, you know, that's, that's not the point. We, we, don't, we just meet here. The, the church, churches have different structures. They work differently. Yet we do things in different ways to be able to interact with one another. 
uh, to enhance our relationships, to enhance uh, ministry to others, and to and to connect with our Heavenly Father. We, we use structures to be able to try to meet some spiritual needs, some tangible needs, and, and things like that with those who have fellowship with us. We have services like this so that we can, uh, in, the, in the worship time, that we can interact with our Heavenly Father and that we can grow in Him and we can hear from Him. And it's in those times of corporate worship that God speaks to us through that worship, through the prayer, and, and through the message. Yet, that's only part of it. We have life groups. We have many different ones. They meet throughout, throughout the month, different times and uh, different dates and different uh, purposes in, so, in the sense of they have different subjects. And, and, uh, but, but here, believers can study the Word and pray and fellowship together more in a personal way. Those things are all important for us. And, you know, some, some in, the, in the sanctuary don't always know we have reach ministries where the youth meet at least, at least three times a week. And uh, there's just so many things that, that, that kids, uh, students can be involved in as teens. And then there, there's capital kids on Sundays and Wednesdays. We, we have just different ministries in the church so that we can minister to people at their level. There are a lot of elements of what we do so that we can have and celebrate life together. Not by ourselves. I know that uh, uh, Jody and I, we didn't get married until, uh, I don't know, early 30s. So I had been, I had been single. I was a single missionary, was single in ministry before I ever met her. And uh, I, I wasn't lonely in general. Why? Because I threw myself into the body of Christ. And I interacted with people. So whether a person is married or whether a person is single, that, that's really not the point. We can still have community together with one another and knowing that the Lord, the source, is with us and that he can comfort and he can strengthen us and we can be people who are powerful in this world that we live. Koinonia, or fellowship, was a vital part of the Jerusalem church and today it remains a vital part of having community together. It's really too easy in this busy world that we live in to pull back from interacting with one another. I think it's something so easy because we get so busy. This is happening, that is happening. Uh, just all kinds of things in our worlds today happen, and it causes people to pull back sometime when uh, more than ever they should be connecting to one another in Christ. Prayer was another part of their fellowship of the early church in Jerusalem. The writer Luke has set up in his book called Luke and Acts a, a parallel between the Holy Spirit's work uh, in relationship to Jesus and the Spirit's work in the church, us. He also set up a parallel between prayer in the life of Jesus and prayer in the life of the church. So all those things, that, that we see a picture of that in Christ and we see a picture of it in us. It should be working in our lives and transforming us. In the original language, he calls them the prayers. He uses the article there, uh, and which kind of suggests uh, formal prayers. We know from the Scripture that the apostles had regular times of prayer. We see that throughout the, the New Testament. That's evident. Now, in verse 43, he also holds another part of the picture of the church in Jerusalem. It says, everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The use of the, the Greek word to be here in the imperfect tense uh, indicates that the awe was the miracles. Some have questioned that. 
but theologians say the awe, according to the Greek, is miracle. So there was no momentary phenomena, but continue, it continued to happen. It wasn't a one-time happening. God was working in the church. This says to me that when God is our source, that we can expect Him to be involved in our lives. I, I, rem- I got to tell you this story. I, I remember this when I was in California pastoring, and uh, somebody calls me on the phone and said, Pastor, uh, we have uh, a family member who is uh, about ready to give birth. She just had a, uh, a massive uh, aneurysm while she was giving birth, 30-some years old. He said, you got to come. I said, okay. So we went over and uh, went to pray, and I was there with the surgeon. I mean, the surgeon is comes in and says, eh, it's uh, not a good chance, like 50-50 chance that in, she'll even live. And so as we go into the, uh, uh, as we were talking in there, they said, is there any way that you could uh, have the pastor go in to pray for her? Now let me tell you what's happening. One, she's given birth. Two, she is having brain surgery at the same time. So all at the same time, so they said, uh, the nurse said, uh, let me talk to the back, go back and talk to the surgeon. And uh, you, you got you doctors, you understand that stuff. But I, I was like, okay, yeah, if you want us to come back, I'll, I'll pray for him. That's fine. Next thing I know, here comes this nurse. She is running. <laughs> she has got all the garb on, the things to put on your booties, you put on your feet and, and the, you know, the mask and all this stuff. And they said, okay, this is what you do. You go in there, you don't touch anything. <laughs> Uh, you don't touch anything. And so she is running back, and I'm trying to run, put on the boots, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get there, and I, I get it back in there, and it's in this big the- uh, this theater. I don't know, probably 1,400 square feet in there. It was big. There were probably 20 people in there, one for the baby, one for the, one for the brain surgery. Uh, they had her shaved and all these things. And, they, and remember, the nurse said, don't touch anything. And that doctor, this, the head surgeon, uh, said, okay, we're, uh, you can go ahead and pray. And he said, you can put your hands on her. I'm like, oh, cool. And so I got to put my hand on her head, and, uh, and then we held hands. He held hands with me and the others, and we prayed. And uh, she made it through that. Now, she's still in a chair, but she made it through that. She's alive. She can interact. The child made it. And, uh, you know, I would like to say that she made it to total and 100% recovery, but she lived, and she was doing well, and it was exciting to see what God did. We just gave God the opportunity. Sometimes we have to be able to do that. I didn't, it wasn't about me. I'm just like you. I'm no different than you. And I think, uh, I think the surgeon was shocked. I think they were shocked that her life was saved. And so... We never know. If we're open to God, He can work as long as we're willing to allow Him to work and give Him those opportunities. What would happen if the lake, with the waters of Lake Victoria were drained from the south by a newly dug man-made river? You go up there and you say, hey, we are going to get our, out our excavators, our excavators." We're going to get our bulldozers out. We're going to make a river to the south, and we're going to drain uh, Lake Victoria that way. Well, 
And then we're going to come back onto the northern side and we're going to get all kinds of concrete and rock and rubble and we're going to block off the Nile. So the only drain for Lake Victoria. What's going to happen to Egypt? What's going to happen to Sudan and South Sudan? What's going to happen to their, to their uh, crops, to their fruits and all that? It's going to dry up, isn't it? It's going to be gone. It's the same with us as followers of Christ. Without community, without prayer, without, we're missing the source of spiritual life. We could only expect it to dry up and be decimated. But God has not called us to dry up. He has called us to be a, a river of life flowing through us because we stay connected to the source, because we stay connected to one another so that God can work through our lives. God wants to work in us, but sometimes we don't want to allow God to work in us, do we? We want to go off into our corner at times and say, hey, here, here I am. No, 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 I don't need to be a part of this. But God's saying, step up closer, friends. Step up closer. We need to step up closer to one another and to recognize that God has a plan for us, not just as individuals, but as a body. He has a plan for each and every one of us. Another thing that we find here is that sharing was a part of their fellowship in Jerusalem. Verse 44 and 45 says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The imperfect tenses in Greek are used here where it says they, they used to sell or they used to divide. So some would say here in verses 44 and 45 that in uh, that, that uh, in the five times that imperfect tense was used, it shows that this was their established practice. It's what they did. It's how they lived. They had everything in common. And, and they did their best to care for each other. They may not have ha uh, done a very good job at it at times. We know that as we read the New Testament. But within the congregation at Jerusalem, the believer's sense of spiritual unity expressed itself with uh, sharing with each other. So we know that they had trouble. That you know, they the early church wasn't perfect, and we're not perfect. Uh, but what we find is, is even later on, when the deacons were put together with the table waiters, as they'd be called, were put together like Stephen. It was to try to deal with the problem of trying to meet the needs of the uh, of the the Grecian Jews, of the uh, the the regular Jewish people, the widows. They're trying to take care of them. Some were being ignored and neglected, and others weren't. And and so they were trying to walk through and work through all of that. What a challenge it must have been. Their communal lifestyle, we know, was described there in those two verses, should be understood at least in part uh, as a response to the pressures of persecution. Now, the full-bore persecution hadn't really taken off yet, uh, but I'm sure that there's a, a little bits here and there, and they also had economic and social sanctions on their lives and they need they needed help and so they had to be able to work together and they cared for the needy widows of their community that were considered to be unable to care for themselves finally this morning the fifth thing is is the outcome of joy the outcome was joy respect and continual effectiveness Verse 46 and 47 says this. It says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They continued. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But while they met formally for discussion and for worship in the temple grounds, they they took their meals in their homes or literally their households. The, The early church of Jerusalem should be a strong example to us today in our broken society. They weren't perfect, but God met them. He was their source. Their focus was on Him. They, they didn't ignore the idea of community, community, and we should not ignore the idea of community. It was ingrained in everything, and prayer was part of their fellowship. They interacted together. Yeah, they had some challenges, but they still did it because they re- knew that there was no other boat to ride on in the boat of the, the, boat of the church, so to speak. They didn't ignore that idea of community. Verse 47 says, the Lord was adding daily to those who are being saved. These were the natural fruits of such testimony. Fruit trees are only grown when they have the water and the soil that they need. Some fruit trees in Egypt and on the Nile were uh, fruits like the figs and dates and uh, pomegranates, olives and peaches. Have any of you eaten a pomegranate before by any chance? You guys get pomegranates? Yeah, we had a pomegranate tree in West Africa when I was there. Those things are weird, aren't they? Kind of got to break them apart and get the seeds and all the stuff out of there. But they're good. They are good. What would happen if uh, the Nile source was cut off? No more figs. No more dates. No more vegetables. No more pomegranates. No more life. Egypt and Sudan would have to start looking for something else, and the same kind of thing can happen to us as followers of Jesus. If we start looking away from the source, and if we start looking away from having that fellowship and that connection that we can have to one another, then we start shriveling up. But it's not God's plan. It never has been, and it never will be His plan. He wants us to stay connected together. He wants us to reach out to others. Our church should be full today. Every church should be full every Sunday. We have a job to do, not just me as a campus pastor, but we as the body of Christ have a job to do to reach out to our brothers and sisters that aren't here We have a job to do to those who aren't our brothers and sisters. And you say, well, I don't really know them. But I can tell you there's a lot of people that don't know each other in any given service. It's pretty normal in every church I've been to. But I think for us, we are our brother's keeper. And we want to encourage one another while it is still day. Because there may become a day in our lives, whether it's for us or wherever, whoever that we may not be able to encourage others like we can now. So we need to take the opportunity while we have that time. We meet our source in worship. We meet our source in prayer. We meet our source in fellowship and community. It's impossible to have effective fellowship without the source. We, the church, are called to be 
the river, the agent of God's love as the Holy Spirit works in us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You were never meant to do life alone. Don't try to live your life by yourself or just with your best friend. You need others, and other people need you. There are life groups here. There are services we have. We have a foyer out there for after service that you can connect to one another. And some, I know, are running to get their fireworks or running to get a, get a meal. But I encourage you, we have opportunity. We want to take those opportunities and use them and grow so that God will can work, continue to work in our lives. Don't cut others off. Don't hold them back from them. But allow God to work in your life. Would you stand with me together this morning? Father, we ask you to help us as the body of Christ to do life together in a better way than what we ever have. We understand it's more than just responsibility. Well, Father, we need you. You are our source. You are the one who is life-giving. You are the one that provides us hope. And we pray this morning that you would help us to focus on you on the rest of our days, Lord. Help us to keep our minds set upon you. And as we go out to celebrate our independence this week, for some, maybe they can take somebody else along. Father, we give you thanks, and we bless your name.